0: HPpodcraft.com
1: In 1925 I went into Oklahoma looking for snake lore, and I came out with a fear of snakes that will last me the rest of my life. I admit it is foolish since there are natural explanations for everything I saw and heard, but it masters me nonetheless. If the old story had been all there was to it, I would not have been so badly shaken. My work as an American Indian ethnologist has hardened me to all kinds of extravagant legendry. And I know that simple white people can beat the Redskins at their own game when it comes to fanciful inventions. But I can't forget what I saw with my own eyes at the insane asylum in Guthrie.
2: All right, we start with an insane asylum.
3: Yeah. Well, that was the opening line from uh, the story The Curse of Yig, written by H.P. Lovecraft in Zelia Bishop. Though this is not the Zelia Bishop Literary Podcast.
2: (laughs) No, this is the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
3: At HPPodcraft.com.
2: I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. I'm so happy that we're covering the story. I had never read it before. Me neither. It was a great length. Read it all in one setting. Yep. And it scared me, and yeah. I thought it was neat, had great setting.
3: I'm with you. It's a really creepy, disturbing story, and the end surprised me and grossed me out and freaked me out. It was good. It's a really good story.
2: Now, uh, before we jump into the synopsis of it, yeah. just so we know who this other authoress is...
3: Zilia Bishop.
2: Now, we did cover another revision two weeks ago, and it was truly a revision. The the author, DeCastro had written the story, and Lovecraft had yes. rewritten and rewritten and rewritten, but I right. believe that this was something... Where there was just an outline, or or what do you know about her and and what this process was?
3: Samuel Loveman was the one that kind of connected her to Lovecraft, and she heard that Lovecraft would do these revisions for not that much money, and so she contacted him. She had kind of an idea of a story, but not much of one. Lovecraft sent her a questionnaire that she filled out about the setting, which is Oklahoma. And Mm -hmm. in her basic story, well, you know, I think uh, Lovecraft says it uh, best himself. I'm going to go ahead and quote him here. This is in a letter to August Derleth, October Mm -hmm. 6, 1929, about this story this story is about 75 percent mine all i had to work on was a synopsis describing a couple of pioneers in a cabin with a nest of rattlesnakes beneath the killing of the husband by snakes the bursting of the corpse and madness of the wife who was an eyewitness to the horror there is no plot or motivation no prologue or aftermath of the incident so that one might say the story as a story is wholly my own i invented the snake god and the curse the tragic wielding of the axe by the wife the matter of the snake victim's identity the Asylum Epilogue. Also, I worked up the geographic and other incidental color, getting some data from the alleged authoress who knows Oklahoma, but more from books.
2: So this really is a Lovecraft story.
3: It's a Lovecraft story. He also wrote two more stories with her. Supposedly, Chad, you were telling me that she never even paid him for his work. Well, that's what I've picked
2: up from a couple of different sources. She owed him a lot of money. In fact, before they did this, I think he did some kind of revision work for her before. that She, she already owed him $25 coming into the deal. Was very bad at, at paying. And like you say, they did two more stories. And I don't, I don't think that she ever paid him. And that's the reason that their relationship stopped. Which is too bad because this is a great story. And he, he deserved the money.
3: This is a great story.
2: Now she's a she's a real person, you know. I, I I think that some people also believe that Zelia Bishop is some kind of nom de plume for a, a famous author. She used the pen name of Hazel Heald, and, or that this was actually somebody else that was just writing with her pen name. But she was a real person. and This is actually her name. Right. <laughs> she right. wrote in some other some other uh, anthologies and that sort
3: of thing. Well, all right. Well, with that, let's uh, let's just get into the story. It's set in Oklahoma in the city of Guthrie. In the year is mm-hmm. 1925. Our protagonist, or our narrator, I should say is an ethnologist. We don't have a name for him. They never say what his name is. Mm-hmm. And he is trying to do some research specifically about a Native American mythology and there's this god called Yig, a snake god. Now he kind of believes that it's a prototype of Quetzalcoatl.
0: Mm-hmm. You know that
3: but this is like much older than the Quetzalcoatl god. Right. And so he starts asking people, you know, about this god. A lot of people don't know, and a lot of the old Native Americans and old settlers don't say anything, get a little sketchy when he brings it up. But eventually, an old Native American tells him about this Dr. McNeil, who lives in Guthrie. Now,
2: in Oklahoma, they seem particularly reticent to talk about it, but he had been traveling from Guatemala all the way up to the Oklahoma Plains, so he had done all sorts of researching south of the border. Yeah about this snake god, Yig, and maybe got a little more information as it pertained to Quetzalcoatl and that, that sort of thing. But once he's here, nobody nobody wants to talk about it, except the one guy that says, go see this doctor. Yeah.
3: He hunts down this Dr. McNeil who works in an, an asylum. He says this agent, It was an ex-Indian agent. The funny thing is, I thought this was, and maybe it's because of the co-author, but I thought
2: for whatever reason, when I started reading this story, I thought it was a woman protagonist. Until it got to this part where they used the pronoun he, that I realized that the the character was a man.
3: I don't know why. I just assumed. Well, it's just maybe because it was co-written by a a, a woman. So Dr. McNeil says, you've been studying Yig, huh? Well, I've got something I should really tell you about. There's this curse of Yig, and I've got somebody that is a living victim of this curse. And he says, "Uh, okay. And And the doctor kind of is busy with all of his duties and stuff and kind of makes him wait for a yes. while but then takes him down into the basement there's this
2: now b- before you go down there though the, the i just realized it was when he says you've done remarkable work for a man as young as you seem to be that's when i found out but in that paragraph too when he says so you've been studying the yig legend it's got the worst i mean the story's great but he says uh, so you've been studying the yig legend a eh? he reflected sententiously it's just the worst adverb i've ever
3: seen in my life <laughs> Sententiously, which means yeah. as as of, of having sentience
2: yeah as an intelligent life form uh, life form he reflected i mean it's <laughs> it's, it's what a terrible just uh, cut that right out he should blame that one on zelia
3: yes probably zelia
2: yeah, so he's going to show him this victim of Yig.
3: Uh, there's a door marked B116, and then there's like a little slidey panel on it, one of those things.
2: Well, it's sort of like a, a Silence of the Lamb scene. It takes him down to the basement. There's doors that go to cells, but then there's also an extra hallway. Yeah. So they have to go through that door and go down this extra hallway.
3: And then he's, he slams on it, like to awaken mm-hmm. something that's inside of there. The, the doctor is looking through, and then he goes, okay, take a look. And then as he moves through, he sees something moving around there's like hay and straw on the floor and you see something kind of wriggling and, and slithering
1: the moving object was almost of human size and entirely devoid of clothing it was absolutely hairless and its tawny looking back seemed subtly squamous in the dim ghoulish light around the shoulders it was rather speckled and brownish and the head was very curiously flat as it looked up to hiss at me i saw that the beady little black eyes were damnably anthropoid, but I could not bear to study them long. They fastened themselves on me with a horrible persistence, so that I closed the panel gaspingly and left the creature to wriggle about unseen in its matted straw and spectral twilight. I must have reeled a bit, for I saw that the doctor was gently holding my arm as he guided me away. I was stuttering over and over again, but, but for God's sake is it
2: creepy oh <laughs> There's some kind of snake man in there
1: you know what's really
3: creepy about it is that the snake man doesn't walk like it's yeah. a, it's anthropoid but it it like still crawls around on its belly and it's, that just yeah. really freaks me out
2: and I don't know what to take away from. Is it a pitiable creature? You know, is this a creature? Does it understand what's going on? Right. Is it imprisoned against its will, or is it uh, don't know.
3: hurting or in pain? Or yeah, I, the
2: doctor makes some reference to you know, at some point when our our ethics change, we'll be able to put it out of its misery, but we can't right now, so we're just keeping
3: it. And he says he's got to start training new staff to take care of it.
2: Because there's only like three old orderlies that'll take care of it and they have to right. clean out the room, and they yeah. have to feed it, and most of the staff won't do it.
3: And the thing doesn't seem to be aging.
2: Oh, right. And that's what, yeah, he's got to train yeah. new people because the thing's not getting any older. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so creepy. That's really There's great. also that great uh, adjective in there, squamous. Yeah.
3: yeah. Lovecraft uses that a few times. Covered in scales. There's a good, uh, if you go to a forums at all, I don't know if you've checked this out yet, but there is mm-hmm. a, a nice thread where... Uh, One of our listeners has taken all of the works of H.P. Lovecraft and put them into one document and done searches to find out how many times in all of his work, Lovecraft has used certain words. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's Ruth Cthulhu Chick. Unnameable has only been used five times. Eldridge, 24. Cyclopean, 54. Oh, wow. Stench, 60. Mm -hmm. Blasphemy, 19. Madness, 120. But uh, Nameless is a big winner with 168 times. Wow. Yeah, hit the forums. There's a lot of cool stuff going on there. (laughs) The doctor takes our narrator to his office and sits him down and is going to tell him the tale. I don't know all of them firsthand, but this is what I've pieced together. Well, Yig, the snake god, is of the Central Plains tribes and Mm -hmm. is, he believes, the source for the Quetzalcoatl and the Kukulkan myths. What's what's Kukulkan? Kukulkan is a Mayan serpent god. And Yig is the source of these gods. Yeah, Yig is the one that has inspired these other gods, so hes it's an old, old legend. Now, the one thing about Yig that's really important is his devotion and his care for his children, which are mm-hmm. snakes. All snakes are his children. All, all snakes are Yig's children, and he's very protective of them. Native Americans would would be really extra careful not to kill snakes, even if it threatened themselves. Like if a rattlesnake was gonna bite you, you wouldn't kill it, you would just kind of get away from it and that was it. Punch it. Put some chloroform on its mouth and then <laughs> run away.
2: That's how we did it when I was growing up, we chloroformed. ourselves. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, man, we, didn't, we knew about Yig.
3: The story really starts with these pioneers, Walker Davis and his wife, Audrey. In the spring of 1889, they were coming down from Arkansas to Oklahoma, specifically uh, uh, north of the Wichita River, which is now uh, Caddo County. They're from the Ozarks. They kind of had a tough life, but they decided they were going to try and make a a better life for themselves because the government was giving away big swaths of land, and they were going to try and make a life for themselves. So they packed up the wagon, got the the mules and the dog. They had this old dog named Wolf. They went and made it down south. Now, the one thing that we need to know about our character Walker, our main guy here, is that he's really, really afraid of snakes. Like, totally freak him out to the point where he would almost go catatonic when he would see a snake. And if you started talking about snakes, he'd get all jittery and freaked out.
2: You know, one thing that's interesting is when the doctor begins uh, to tell this tale, it says that the, author, the narrator felt a tingling sensation as when a theater curtain rises which I thought was a neat way to describe it. I mean, you know you're about to get into this really interesting story, but truly as clinical and as sort of measured as the doctor has been thus far, when he does get into the story, it's very theatrical the way he tells it. He draws things out. He's doing dialects, (laughs) you know? I I mean, I assume he's doing these dialects. That's one of my favorite things in literature when you get a story within a story, and in the story within a story, there's all these different dialects and is the person who's telling it doing all those voices? And I assume this doctor is, or at least that's how I imagine it.
3: Well, the doctor is heavily involved in community theater.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. It doesn't
3: say that in the script, but I get that. You know, that's in the subtext. I intuited it. On their way down to Oklahoma, they stop in different towns and the different Indian settlements, and Mm. you know, everybody's nice to them, you know, not, not too many problems, but he, walker starts to hear these rumors about yig and about the god and normally this kind of stuff would freak him out but he gets really into it and kind of obsessed with it
2: well it does freak him out and that's why he wants to know everything he can about yig because snakes he hates them. yeah he doesn't want to get on yig's bad side he
3: so does everything he can he learns some chance he learns you know little little magic he wants to pick up uh trinkets that might protect him from snakes those types of things anti-snake charms as they call them and uh, uh yeah. Everything seems to be going fine on their on their, on their their trip. <laughs> As they call them. Yeah, you know, they call them anti-snake charms. Mm-hmm. It's different from the mountains because Oklahoma's pretty flat, for mm-hmm. those of you that don't know Oklahoma. And there's some bad storms that are hitting and his wife persuades him to, let's move over to, there's kind of a big cliff face. Let's camp there for the night. When they do camp there, he's a little bit nervous about it because in cliffs and rocks and things like that this is where snakes go. And so he doesn't yeah. really want to go there, but since the wind is blowing so hard and they're worried about the mules and everything, he says, okay, that night, the dog starts wandering around and then she, the wife kind of follows to see what's up with the dog. And there is a nest of baby snakes over there. Mm. She's, oh no, if my husband sees these, he's going to flip out. So she takes the the butt of the rifle and she just kills them all. She just smashes them. Not out of any kind of fear, just knowing Mm. I got to take care of this because my husband will go nuts if, if I don't. Unfortunately, he hears the noise of what's going on. He comes over and checks it out, and he flips out.
0: God's sake, all, oh, but why'd you go for to do that? Ain't you heard all the things they've been telling about this snake devil, Yig? you oughta told me, and we'd have moved on. Don't you know there's a devil god what gets even if you hurt its children? What'd you think the engines all dancing and beats and drums and the fall about? This land's under a curse, I tell you. Nigh every soul we had talked to since some come in and said the same. Yig rules here, and he comes out every fall for to get his victims and turn them into snakes. Why, Odd, they won't none of them engines cross the a Canadian killer snake for the love of no money. God knows what you done to yourself, gal, a stomping out a whole brood of Yigs chillin'. He'll get you sure sooner or later, unless and I can buy a charm off of some Indian medicine men. He'll get you all sure as there's a God in heaven. He'll come out of the night and turn you into a crawling, spotted snake.
2: <laughs> and uh, apparently the so the doctor said that in that dialect. And, you know, our reader today oh, did yes. a great job delivering that. Because this is, you know, typical Lovecraft phonetic sort of Hick speak. Yeah. Uh, but our reader today is one Mr. Sitara Falcon, who I think just did a great job with that.
3: Very good, Satara. Thank you very much. He's, you know, pretty mad at his wife, but, you know, what's he going to do? And so yeah. he, you know, he tr- he starts really, you know, as they continue on their journey, he tries to talk to more Indians, finds the Wichita's, which is the local tribe, and talks to them and goes, okay, what can I do? And they're all just like, well, Yig's pretty hardcore. There's not much mm-hmm. you can do, but, well, if you say these words. He offered them whiskey, and so they're like, oh, yeah, we can give you some stuff.
2: He's bartering with all the Native Americans using whiskey. Wh- using and, and whiskey. you know, to to be clear, he's what he's worried about is that Yig is— going to turn his wife into a snake. Because that's what the legend says that Yig will do if you mess with his children.
3: If you mess with his children, you will be turned into a snake yourself. Moving on, this is the spring that they're moving down this way. First get some farmland, then they build their one big room cabin with the help of the local neighbors. There's other farmers that live about a mile away and those are Joe and Sally Compton, and they're also from Arkansas. So they become really good friends with these guys. As
2: they're friends now, the, the wives are having one of their gossip sessions one day and Sally Compton tells Audrey about an old Arkansas snake tale that she knows about Yeah, which is uh, she has a lot of these gruesome snake stories and and the one that, that really sticks in her mind is about a guy in Scott County who had been bitten by a whole horde of snakes all at once Mm-hmm. And because of the poison swelling within his body, he he his, his entire body had finally burst open with this yeah. kind of pop, nauseating pop sound, which is terrible. And uh, Audrey, of course, didn't repeat this to her husband. No. She said, tell you what, Sally, don't bring that up when we're having dinner later. You know, my <laughs> husband really doesn't need to, he doesn't need know, to know about that. this. And I wonder yeah. how serious she's taking the whole thing. They don't really say, but in the story, I mean, I wonder if she thinks her husband's a little crazy he's out swapping whiskey with the natives trying to get anti-snake charms and and uh, he's worried that she's going to turn into a snake i mean do you really think she takes him seriously
3: i think she doesn't at first but i think his belief in it starts Mm -hmm. to really affect her that he believes it so much that she's going well i think he's a little crazy but what if there's something to it and that sort of is going to play later into the story
2: i love when they're when uh walker's talking to the different tribes there's a paragraph where it just says yig was a great god he was bad medicine. <laughs> he did not forget things.
3: No, no, no. So he says every autumn, Yig mm. will show up and kind of get his vengeance. He's really hungry. And if yeah. you've done anything wrong, that's when you're going to get it. You know, that's when the curse will come in effect. And that's why
2: all the Indians keep the drums pounding. And they right. play drums every night in the autumn because they're trying to keep Yig away. And they mm-hmm. call down the aid of Tarawa because men are the children of Tirawa, just as the snakes are Yig's children.
3: Right, exactly. So they're hoping that Tarawa will protect them from Yig, and if they've somehow upset Yig in any kind of way. But Yig is a powerful god, and and yeah. they're afraid of him. The fall comes, the the corn is harvested. This is the end of the season, so people are getting together. There's going to be a big party. But there is incessant drumming off in the distance. It's yeah. just kind of all the time at this time of year, which is close to Halloween.
2: And Audrey doesn't like it too much, but the, the walker says, "And no, that's a good thing. We want that pounding going on in the background, all.
3: Right, 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 right. And the season is abnormally warm, it says. It's very hot. In fact, people aren't even putting fires in the fireplace. Since it's harvest time, they're going to ha- kind of have a big shindig over the big cabin that they have. Right. This guy, Lafayette Smith, uh, who came from southern Missouri, is one heck of a fiddler. It's for
2: Halloween. That's when the warm spell breaks is finally on Halloween. Yeah. There's a great <laughs> sentence where it says, Lafayette Smith's fiddle inspired a very fair-sized company to great fits of saltatory grotesqueness in one in one good sized but crowded room this is during the party so yeah i didn't know what saltatory meant i actually had to look it up but it's uh, related to dancing or, or leaping so they're all bad dancers i just imagine that they're all in this big room just doing the worst moves you know there's right. one guy's doing the shopping cart and the other guy thinks he's doing the vacuum cleaner and you know there's a woman doing the monkey in the corner and there's you know two people doing terrible robots it's just awful saltatory grotesqueness
3: they're farming folk you know just the, they don't have the moves
2: no but once that fiddle starts they can't help themselves yeah they
3: can't help them that's too good yeah. the dogs are being a little sketchy tonight um uh, good old wolf is howling every once in a while and they think it's because it's the fiddle music but you know maybe yeah that's... he's never heard it before yeah they heard it so it might be something else but there's another dog and there's yeah there's zeke tom and jenny's dog zeke they don't really kind of associate together they're too busy just being nervous so everybody, eventually the night goes on. By 10 o'clock, people are getting tired. They get off. They all start heading off for home. Audrey and Walker go to bed. Good old Wolf gets by his place by the fireplace to go to sleep. There's a, a cheap alarm clock that's on the mantel, and it ticks. But Now, this is the point where Dr. McNeil takes his glasses off and gets serious. So you know yeah. you know that this is, okay, this is what's, we're going to get the good stuff right now.
2: Well, that's the mo- I mean, we all know from David Caruso that that is the most dramatic motion that you can make, is removing <laughs> a pair of glasses.
3: <laughs> either on or off.
2: Yeah, well, putting them on is... You're about to relate the crescendo of the violence, but when you take them off, that's the most dramatic part of the story. There's a way to do it. You know, you have the glasses on when you start a story. When you get to the really horrifying part, you take them off, and then when you conclude and you make a quippy, you know, end remark, you put them back on. Right. Okay. That's, that's the way it was broken down for me in literature class. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about.
3: So the doctor says... um, Again, I don't really know exactly what happened, but this is mm-hmm. what I pieced together.
2: <laughs> he very specifically pieced this together, by the way, because he knows what they were dreaming about. You know, they, he knows all of these things.
3: Well, he's, you know, community theater. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, Audrey has a dream about Satan, you know, kind of being your atypical Satan with horns and all like, mm-hmm. like in the wood cuttings that she's seen before. And it wakes her up, but her husband's already awake and he's like, you hear something? It's something a singing or a buzzing or rustling. You know what it is? And they're not sure exactly what's making the noise. You have a nightmare,
2: and you wake up, and the person next to you is already awake. That's a terrible feeling. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he's awake listening for something. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I found that that I really... I was reading in and enjoying all the storytelling and how they were setting this up, but this is the actual incident the story's about, and and she has that nightmare and wakes up, and he's already sitting there listening. It, it was really creepy, man.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, it's good. It's good because it's something unnerving. Because in your dream, you're like, "Oh, everybody's sleeping, everything's fine." Wait, no, he's awake yeah. and nervous. What's going on? You know, mm-hmm. is my dream real? Is it not real? I don't know. Well, he goes, and nobody goes, ever
2: wants to wake up to have their mate say, uh, "Did you, you hear that?" <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's
2: bad.
1: <laughs> he he's like, "What's that noise?" It's not crickets. He rose, felt for the lantern that hung within easy reach, and rattled the tin matchbox nailed to the wall beside it. Audrey sat up in the bed and watched the flare of the match grow to the steady glow of the lantern. Then, as their eyes began to take in the whole of the room, the crude rafters shook with the frenzy of their simultaneous shriek. For the flat, rocky floor revealed in the newborn illumination was one seething, brown-speckled mass of wriggling rattlesnakes slithering toward the fire and even now turning their loathsome heads to menace the fright-blasted lantern
2: Oh, wow, man. So there's snakes everywhere in the room. Everywhere.
3: It's like full on Well of Souls stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the Indiana Jones nightmare.
3: They sort of freak out. Walker falls out of bed and onto the floor, and she doesn't know what to do. She just tightens up. Well, the lantern goes out when he falls. So she can't see anything. She doesn't know what to do, and she's like under this crazy panic fear. And she's like, yeah. it must be the curse of Yig. That's must, that must be what's going on.
2: It says the walker fell as if shot by a silent arrow from no mortal's bow. That was yeah. a description. He just falls out of bed almost silently, oh. paralyzed with fear.
3: Well, she's thinking to herself, he has to be covered in snakes and bitten like crazy, and it's dead. Yeah. And then she kind of feels that the snakes are crawling up on the bed, too, under the blankets. And One all. thing
2: that she remembers is that when Walker was young, an old witch woman had predicted that he had, would die. Uh, that was something that played into his phobia early on that we didn't mention. But uh, it's something they set up early in the story when he was uh, this sort of witchy psychic had told him he was going to die from snakes. And when he falls and, and the light goes out, she says, well, it happened my husband died just
3: like it was predicted she's just in bed and she can't move and she doesn't know what to do and and yeah the, you and know, the dog
2: is there sleeping by the fireplace too but she just assumes he's still asleep while this is going
3: on the tom-toms are beating and they're beating and they're beating and she's like what's taking so long why aren't these snakes attacking me what what What? nothing's happening i don't understand it's
2: this horrible long moment in the dark where she assumes they're climbing up the bed for her but yeah
3: exactly forever to get it's there. taking forever and then the the
2: drums stop. And so it's totally silent suddenly in there. And she looks over towards the uh, window. The moon's coming in, and there's enough light that she can sort of see the room a little better. And then there's that sound that had been described in her friend's story. That pop. Dull, putrid pop of cleft skin and escaping poison in the dark. And she assumes that's, you know, Walker.
3: Yeah, <sighs> she assumes that her husband got full up with poison and just popped. And so he's, he's dead. And then yeah. she sees something at the lower edge of the window
1: then Audrey saw against the stars the black, demonic silhouette of something anthropoid, the undulant bulk of a gigantic head and shoulders fumbling slowly toward her.
0: Yeah! Yeah! Go away! Go away! Go away, Snake Devil! Go away, Yig! I didn't mean to kill him. I was feared he'd be scared of him. Don't, Yig, don't! I didn't go for to hurt your children. Don't come near me. Don't chase me in no spotted snakes!
1: But the half-formless head and shoulders only lurched onward toward the bed, very silently. Everything snapped at once inside Audrey's head, and in a second, she had turned from a cowering child into a raging madwoman. She knew where the axe was, hung against the wall on those pegs near the lantern. It was within easy reach, and she could find it in the dark. Before she was conscious of anything further, it was in her hands and she was creeping toward the foot of the bed, toward the monstrous head and shoulders that at every moment groped their way nearer. Had there been any light, the look on her face would not have been a pleasant one to see. Take that, you! Take that! And that! And that! She was laughing shrilly now, and her cackles mounted higher as she saw the starlight beyond the window was yielding to the dim, prophetic pallor of coming dawn. So she
3: freaking attacked this snake man with an axe.
2: That's so crazy. So she assumes, I guess, her husband popped open and was this half snake man. Now, I see this here in the story that Dr. McNeil wiped the perspiration from his forehead and put on his glasses again.
3: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's following the dramatic arc of the glass pull off. Well, just because it's community theater doesn't mean it's not good. No, no, of course not. I assume he's excellent. The narrator asked, so what happened? Did, Did she live? What's the deal? And and then Dr. McNeil says, yes, she lived in a way, and it was explained. I told you there was no bewitchment, only cruel, pitiful material whore. Mm. So he goes on to explain that Sally Compton was the one who made the discovery, and she goes over there. The fire wasn't lit in the morning, which normally was, and so that kind of led her to think, well, maybe something something's going on.
2: Yeah, she was just coming by for a regular social call, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And she smells uh, something bad when she opens up the door, and she looks on the ground, and she sees the dog purple uh, decay all over its skin and mange mm-hmm. from old age and its carcass was burst. So it was the dog who popped open. The dog that popped open. He got bit by the snake. But next to the door is what what is called the axe-hacked remnant of a man clad only in a yeah. nightshirt. No snake bite on this man. Yeah. And that man, Walker.
2: Yeah, Walker, she hacked him to death and he hadn't even been bitten. Probably he passed out on the floor because he was so freaked out and as he was climbing to his feet, she went at it. Like
3: her craziness was what made her kill him.
2: Well, so she killed him because she was crazy, but what happened to her?
1: And wriggling flat on the floor was a loathsome, vacant-eyed thing that had been a woman but was now only a mute, mad caricature. All that this thing could do was to hiss and hiss and hiss. Both the doctor and I were brushing cold drops from our foreheads by this time. He poured something from a flask on his desk, took a nip and handed another glass to me. I could only suggest tremulously and stupidly. So, Walker had only fainted that first time. The screams roused him, and the axe did the rest. Yes, Dr. McNeil's voice was low. But he met his death from snakes just the same. It was his fear working in two ways. It made him faint, And it made him fill his wife with the wild stories that caused her to strike out when she thought she saw the snake devil. I thought for a moment. And Audrey. Wasn't it queer how the curse of Yig seemed to work itself out on her? I suppose the impression of hissing snakes had been fairly ground into her. Yes, there were lucid spells at first. But they got to be fewer and fewer. Her hair came white at the roots as it grew and Later began to fall out, the skin grew blotchy, and when she died, I interrupted with a start. Died? (laughs) Then what was that? That thing downstairs? McNeil spoke gravely. That is what was born to her three quarters of a year afterward. There were three more of them. Two were even worse. But this is the only one that lived.
2: Snake baby!
1: Oh, snake baby.
2: Snake baby! Oh, man, and that's the end of the story.
3: That is the end of the story.
2: It's a great ending, too, because it's not italicized for a fact. He just leaves it there.
3: That's really disturbing. that, <laughs> that is just really creepy, creepy story, and then the kicker ending is extra creepy, meaning that yeah. what was she raped by yig was it like did she somehow how did she have snake babies
2: i don't know was that part of the curse
3: you know like because she killed yig's babies that instead of her just becoming a snake she had a bear more snakes like oh that's horrific
2: yeah and it's it's weird because it crosses between the supernatural and some sort of terrible birth defect because if she had just turned into a snake person that would have seemed very supernatural right but she didn't she just went crazy in a snake-like way right her skin got I mean, she didn't physically transform other than things that could have happened to somebody who was legitimately crazy person, you know? Yeah. You're right. Her hair fell out. She got blotchy skin. But her children then. Snake babies. I can see where the doctor's saying, well, it's not necessarily supernatural. I mean, unfortunately, it's a real material horror. She killed her husband with an ax. The dog got bitten by a snake. And then she had deformed children. We can't say necessarily that it's the curse of Yig. And then he says, but I need to get going now. I'm playing Curly in a production of Oklahoma tonight. (laughs) have some comp tickets
3: for you uh Uh, that's not in the story i mean it's in the it's in the subtext it's there it is in the subtext well why else would they mention oklahoma well chad i I gotta say it was um i'm always skeptical when we have to read these collaborations because usually they're Mm -hmm. not very good but i really dug this story
2: yeah i did too has a great pace to it and it's written well and although i don't fully understand what happens that lends itself to the horror
3: of it. Yeah, that's what makes it even extra scary. You know
2: the uh, and of course snakes are just disgustingly creepy. They
3: don't have legs.
2: Yeah, they don't. I, I read this. Uh, I mean, you know, the author Stephen Pinker. He's a popular yeah. science author. Uh, he wrote a book called um, The Blank Slate. It's a, it's a great book, and it's about how basically a lot of things are inherent in human beings. And one of the things they found when they do cross cultural studies of humans all over the world is that everybody's afraid of snakes. Oh wow. You take a tribe in Africa, you take a, a family in Brooklyn, you get somebody in, in Poland. I mean, it's just something that's it's physically in our, our DNA. Because it's been passed down, and eventually it's a cell memory, but everybody's afraid of snake. I, I think that's so appropriate for a Lovecraft story, because he really is always trying to dig down in one of those deepest roots of fear. Mm. And certainly that's, that's one of them.
3: Yeah, he really nails it. Well, Chad, we're almost to our goal for our reading of From Beyond with Bruce Green and... Picture in the House with Andrew Lehman.
2: Right. Those are the recordings we're going to do in 3D in and release. In 3D! And we're very, very close to hitting our goal of $2,000. So anybody who wants to make a donation, please do. We'll be hitting that mark, I think, fairly soon. And then we'll be releasing those recordings in the new year.
3: I'd also like to say, unfortunately, uh, this will be our last podcast of the year. So we're going we're gonna to be taking a couple of weeks off because of the holiday. Both Chad and I are going to be crazy busy with, uh, you know, it's the holidays. And hopefully yeah. everybody else is going to be busy, too. So I hope you so. won't be missing the show. However, However, mm-hmm. I'm proud to announce that we are coming back with one of my favorites, the Dunwich Horror.
2: Yeah, the Dunwich Horror. That's going to be a really good one. That's a good way to kick off 2011.
3: Chad, I th- it's it's pronounced Dunwich.
2: What, where's the? Is the silent W?
3: No, it's like Greenwich. So I can't say Dunwich. You can say it, but you you'll be saying it wrong.
2: All right. Well, uh, when we're done with the podcast, then am I going to go eat a sandwich? Um, Boom! Thank you, thank you.
3: <laughs> the Dunwich whore We're not doing this solo. We're going to go into this with a guest host. Oh, really? Who's that? That would be one Mr. Robert M. Price. Yahoo! Yeah. So he's going to be joining us for the whole Dunwich experience, and uh, it's a big favorite of his. And he's got a lot to say about it. And I know he's going to be a valuable guest host. So I can't wait to have him on that the show. That'll be awesome.
2: Before we get off, I want to thank Satara Falcon for doing a reading for us today. Thanks so much, Satara. And you rocked it. Mm, voices like butter. Mmm, delicious. I can melt that voice and make a delicious green bean casserole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I want to say uh, to everyone, have a uh, a very merry solstice. Happy Christmas. Kick-ass Kwanzaa. Hanukkah. Yeah, don't, don't forget. Yeah, yeah don't happy forget Hanukkah. Hanukkah.
2: Although Hanukkah, is that over now?
3: Yeah, I think it's over by now. But hopefully you had a good one. And uh, just have a great holiday season and, of course, a wonderful new year.
2: Uh, I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lankey And this has been
3: the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At Pinecraft.com. Podcast
2: dot com.